Okay, we are recording. Great. Okay. So, um, welcome everybody. Welcome back. Uh, before we get started on Chapter 7, I wanted to um, cover a couple of things, just kind of do a, um, mention a couple of things. Some I mentioned before and some I didn't last week, just to clarify some things. Um, so I'd like to go over those. And I, I wanted to explain the text a little bit uh, better, so maybe it's clearer to some folks. Um, so when I s said last week that um, Vimalakirti is a class classic uh, Mahayana text, um, I mentioned a lot of, they're all fine and good, but the, the main, the main um, characteristic of these texts is that they're, they're basically advocating the lay person's practice as opposed to the monastic practice. So that's real important. So what's going on in these, in these dialogues, particularly between Manjushri and Vimalakirti, and in other dialogues too, but uh, those in particular, um, Vimalakirti is making the case or showing how uh, Mahayana, the great vehicle, is in some ways um, the great vehicle <laughs> instead of the lesser vehicle. Um, and so the, the main objective, you guys know this, I'm sure, uh, the main objective of the, of the um, lay practitioners are to be in the world. It's, it's not to um, become enlightened and, and have nirvana, be in nirvana. It's, it's actually to, um, to awaken, but then come back into the world to liberate other living beings. So service is the big, the big thing. That's part of the vow, right? It's to liberate others. So there's a big distinction. And so it's, it's clearly shown in this text. So you can look for when that comes up. And, and another part of that is, um, well, in, that's in opposition to the Theravadan, where the primary focus for the monastics is to attain their own enlightenment. So it's, I'm going to just kind of work on myself and my own enlightenment. So they sit in the forest by themselves and, and, and that's all fine and good. But the Mahayana says, okay, well, we want to liberate other people. And that's, that's what we're up to. So um, you find throughout the text, and particularly in chapter uh, seven, it comes up that Vimalakirti or other characters often um, take the disciplines to task for their attitude of superiority. Like the disciples know, they know what's going on. Daisei the Bodhisattva is the disciples. And so, um, so we'll see tonight later on how that shows up. So another thing that I wanted to mention is, and this is more of a, well, it has to do with the tradition, the middle way tradition of masters. They, they have a particular, and Vimalakirti is the king of this. Uh, uh, it's the way that they teach. And it consists of um, working with, uh, working and playing with dualities. And that, and what they call that is the reconciliation of dichotomies. So, the way that that works is that they take two, two polar opposites, like samsara and nirvana, and they pit them against each other to eliminate the fixedness in the student's mind of each thing. So that they end up coming to the middle and in their understanding. Um, 
So this was a this was a particular quality of the Zen uh, Zen masters and also the Chan masters. They used the same same thing. And what they tended to do is they used dichotomies that the students practiced. So it was in their life, and they were integrating this, these teachings into exactly what their practices were, so that they really learned to um, integrate the teachings. So very important. Um, so one of the major dichotomies is, as I said, samsara nirvana. Another one is um, the, um, the relative and the absolute. We mentioned that last time. So in the relative, it's the everyday, everyday life, the ordinary life, the way we look at things, and it's elaborated through or sensed, elaborated through the objectified sense data. So subjects are looking at objects. Whereas in the absolute, it's seen through the lens of, of emptiness, vastness or boundlessness. So that, that's the opposition. And so again, what this, what we're looking at in this particular um, text is that these two things are present all the time. And so um, I want to make that clear that in our lives every day, we experience this. It's not just something we're reading about. I mean, we all um, experience or ordinary every day. We drive a car and we have to concentrate and pay attention to what we're doing. And, and we know that there are things that we can crash into while we're driving our car if we're not really paying attention. Um, and then there's this this um, this boundlessness or this formlessness that or emptiness that we also have perceived at one time or another, where maybe out of the blue or maybe during meditation or during an intensive it happens at different times with different people, where all of a sudden things look really clear or everything seems part of a whole. It just everything comes alive and you see everything as a actualizing itself at the same time. I mean, you guys have your own experiences, I'm sure. So I just want to make clear that these are, these are not really that abstract and that they, they happen to, to people all the time. And, and the idea, I think, in, in what we learn from the teachings is we can, the more we practice with this stuff, we can um, see the real, the, the other part or the real, our real Buddha nature or that Buddha, Buddha nature is alive and well. It's there if we open up to it. So that's all I want to say about that for right now. Um, so I also wanted to return to uh, two questions that came up last time. I was thinking about the question that um, Kim asked. I'm going to repeat this, Kim. You and I already talked about it, but he was asking about bondage and what that is. And it was in, in a section where uh, bondage was being, again, this is a kind of a dichotomy, dichotomy, a bondage versus liberation. So liberation is considered the liberation of rebirth, where we keep being reborn again and again, birth and death, birth and death, and with the same suffering. And so um, that's what bondage is. That's not liberation. Well, you could say that's liberation, but that's another way of looking at it. Anyway, that's bondage, is, is being reborn over and over and over and having suffering, right? And so uh, liberation is, is being liberated from rebirth, the being reborn over into suffering. It's being liberated from that. 
Is that clear? Did I confuse you completely? <laughs> okay. Um, and then the the Buddha uh, Barbara, uh, she left. Anyway, she was asking, was reflecting on the fact that this text is um, written in, a, in another age and in another culture, another place in the world, and how that can be kind of difficult to to relate to. And um, so uh, that's true. It is a different culture and a different time. But I think the way that I tend to look at this is that um, we're talking about basically human beings and people who see more, see things more clearly, really see to the depths of things. That's, and, and human beings haven't changed over time. They, the scenery changes a lot and cultural things change, but I don't think that humans change. So I think this certainly, um, old age sickness and death doesn't change and the how people deal with those things oftentimes and they're not not the best way we we do that I mean, we end up you know craving things or uh, forming ad addictions around alcohol or drugs or watching tv or you know gaming or shopping or whatever whatever it is but um, and that there is there is another way and that's what this whole thing is about so that's all I have to say to that. Does anybody have any other questions that might have arisen? Would you just frame me up? Did y'all read, did everybody read through chapter seven? No, um, I was I was the only one. I, well, you might have read some more, um, but um, I summed up one through four. Okay. I just, you know, said, <laughs> kind of summed it up basically set up the situation. So where where did you get to read to? I just chapter one through four. So. Oh, okay. Well, we, we did chapter five and um, last time. Mm -hmm. And then um, I'm just going to do seven and eight. So we, we can't go through the whole thing. I kind of explained this last time. Yes, of course. It's, it's real dense and it's lots of cover. So I just chose those three chapters because I thought they were important so manjushri just oh, i'm sorry vimla kirti so just i'm so sorry y'all i'm not super ed ed edified on this one he is he like a catalytic sort of character where he his role is to his role who he is is he's a um well he's a bodhisattva he's a you know this, this rich guy lives in this town of vaishali and um he's actually uh, had served and for Buddhas way back in time. Oh. So he, the, the the way that Thurman describes him is he is a, a a colleague, a teaching colleague of the Buddhas. So he can do a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of magic he can do, and he's he's really skillful. He's got his skillful means down, and he's very eloquent. And that's why all the um, reluctant to see him. Yeah, they didn't want to talk to him because. He makes them feel <laughs> yeah, really, really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. And so he, and so he sets up, as you already read, um, he wants to have people come and visit him. So he, he acts like he's sick because he wants, wants to teach. 
because he's got great love for living beings. So anytime he can get people to show up, he's happy. Um, so that's, that's the basic deal. So then Manjushri decides what's in chapter five. Manjushri decides to go and they have a dialogue and, and they start talking about uh, simultane simultaneousness of, um, of uh, emptiness and the relative and the absolute. That's where it starts and then they have a discussion. So clearly I got to like the juicy part, I haven't quite gotten there. Yeah, it starts in, <laughs> it really starts in five. Uh -huh. Yeah, okay. so, but this, but we'll go on with to chapter um, seven and it, it's called The Goddess and it's on page, in the book, it's on page 56. You probably have it already. But it starts out with Manjushri and Bhima Makirti. I wonder, um, is Manjushri here? Who's Mount Manjushri? I can't remember. John was one of them. And um, John uh, was one, and then somebody else was um, Bhima Lakirti. And I did not write it down. I don't know where Trouty went. Did Trouty leave us? Trouty's here. Oh, she's there. Oh, there you are. Trouty, you're oh, good to see you. Um, okay, somebody's got a better memory than I do. Who um, was Manjushri and Fimala Kirti? Fimala John was the Fimala Kirti person, and this, I don't know how to pronounce her name. She's, and she's muted. Oh, Trouty? Uh, one who uh, I don't remember. Uh, am I my history? Kim, you are the goddess. Yeah. Can you un Kim? Can you unmute uh, Edie or what's her name? Trouty. Trouty. She's unmuted. Hello. Hello. Yeah. There she is. Yeah, I'm trying to wave, but uh, <laughs> they don't see me. <laughs> We still couldn't hear you. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're not the one that's heard. So I think that you're you're um, Manjushri. No, yeah. Nancy was last time. No, this time, this time. Me? No, I mean we volunteered to be a role, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you were the goddess, and then... Um, uh, I, yeah, I see. Yeah. Okay, well, would somebody like to volunteer to be um, Manjushri and Vimalakirti? Anybody. We've already got Kim and Nancy. Who, who's Kim? Uh, who am you I? You are Kim. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're with the goddess, so you're not up yet. Okay. I'll be something, somebody. <laughs> okay, Manjushri here. Okay, there we go. Okay, so now we're looking for a Vimalakirti. I'll be that. Okay. All right, so we start with Manjushri on page 56 in the book and 61 on the PDF. Awesome. Do you just read the dialogue? Yeah, just read it. You don't have to say when Vimalakirti says, just read it. Oh, but you don't read the paragraphs and stuff before? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
So is, is there a narrator then? Yeah, who's the narrator? So who is the narrator? Would somebody like to be a nar narrator? I'll be so shy. Shishi, you want to be a narrator? No. Joan, I feel like you want to narrate so badly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see narrator in my book. I don't, I don't see narrator. I see Manjushri and Vimala Kirti. So. Well, yeah, that's what I think too. But, but it's the sort of the text in between, the frame. Yeah. Thereupon like, Manjushri, the crown prince, addressed the Vimala Kirti. Yeah. Okay. I, so does anybody want to take that role? Joan does. I yeah. don't see it. I'm sorry. I don't see it's it. Just the, it's just the, the worst line. First line of chapter seven. First line of chapter seven. Thereupon Manjushri, the crown prince, that yes. one? Okay, addressed the Lichavi Vimalakirti. Okay. Manjushri. Good sir, how should the Bodhisattva regard all living beings? Vimalakirti replied, Manjushri, a bodhisattva, should regard all living beings as a wise man regards the reflection of the moon in water, or as magicians regard men created by magic. When I volunteered, I didn't realize he was going to talk so much. Anyway, good Okay. He should regard them as being like a face in a mirror, like the water of a mirage, like the sound of an echo, like a mass of clouds in the sky, like the previous moment of a ball of foam, like the appearance and disappearance of a bubble of water, like the core of a plantain tree, like a flash of lightning, like the fifth great element, like the seventh sense medium, like the appearance of matter in an immaterial realm, like a sprout from a rotten seed, like a tortoise hair coat, like the fun of games for one who wishes to die, like the egoistic views of a stream winner, like a third rebirth of a once returner, like the descent of a non-returner into a womb, like the existence of desire, hatred, and folly in a saint, like thoughts of avarice, immorality, wickedness, and hostility in a bodhisattva who has attained tolerance, like the instincts of passions in a tathagata, like the perception of color in one blind from birth, like the inhalation and exhalation of an ascetic absorbed in the meditation of cessation, like the track of a bird in the sky, like the erection of a eunuch, like the pregnancy of a barren woman, like the unproduced passions of an emanated incarnation of the Tathagata, like dream visions seen after waking, like the passions of one who is free of conceptualizations, like fire burning without fuel, like the reincarnation of one who has attained ultimate liberation. So that's those dichotomies you were talking about, like the seeming impossibilities or something? Well, these are, yeah, well, these, yeah, these are impossibilities. Okay. You do the next line. Oh, thanks. Precisely thus. Oh, I wanted to say something. Sure. You know, it's, <clears throat> the interesting enough is that the first part, they're not, uh, impossibilities and that bi business about the ball of foam 
Kim, didn't we read that? And, and Laura, didn't we read that in depth of practice about the f foam and the bubble and the water? Is, mm -hmm. is that a metaphor for the, the simultaneity of the absolute and the relative of formlessness and form? Mm -hmm. That's the ball of foam, but the, this is the previous moment. Okay. So what's there before the, before the ball of foam? And then the core of a plantain tree? Yeah, it doesn't have a core because it's, it's made of all leaves. If you look oh, it up, right. just, it, has, it doesn't have a trunk per se. It just has leaves coming out. Oh, wow. That's how it, that's how it grows. But the sound, that one up. the sound of an echo, that's, that's kind of an illusion. It, it's not reality. Oh. Exactly. And the moon in the water is the same sort, it's the same yeah. thing, it's a reflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. A flash of lightning. Let me see where that is. Like the fifth great element. Yeah. I guess there's only four elements. There's right? Four elements, yeah. There's seven sense mediums. There's six senses. Okay. Mm -hmm. oh, this, that, was, that was good. Thank you. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, that is helpful, actually, because it makes me, it opens up the question of what is the nature of each of these, but is is it safe to assume that each example is embodying the same concept? You know? Yeah, I think if we read on a little bit, he's gonna he's oh. gonna say. Awesome. Okay. So, but I don't want to cut you off. I mean, it, they I I think I wrote all these out separately, and it, you know, it's they seem to change. I'm with you, uh, Joan. At the beginning. You know, the moon in the water, the face in the mirror, water and mirage, the sound of an echo. Those things to me are more like they're, they're reflections. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're not real. They're, yeah, they're reflections serious. of things. Or Yeah, they're so. But then a pregnancy of a barren woman, for example. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I mean, that's obvious. So some of them are they're they're had slightly different grades, but all of them, you could probably say, are not real. They're not, they're right. not, they're not reality, maybe. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so this really also speaks to his close relationship to the Buddha, Shakyamuni, because he used the same, some of the same metaphors, mm. extended, you know, versions of them. So this is really... Um, speaks to that that they were really really were colleagues they yeah. were thinking the same stuff you know and so, and, and it, i'm so glad you mentioned that about the ball of foam because when i started rereading this i had read it a couple of times and then i went back to read it and i was seeing that that book compassion and emptiness all over it mm -hmm. i mean just like you say mm -hmm. that ball of foam there's a lot of references that in in, in that book that I find in here. So it's it's almost reassuring. It's like they're all coming off of each other. You know, they're all from the same mm -hmm. source. The book, okay. the book is compassion, called Compassion and Emptiness? Yeah, we, yeah. we read it. And oh, it's amazing. Practice. Awesome. I missed a couple of chapters. You know, there's another one here that just is really, these are really quite fascinating. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Like the fun of games for one who wishes to 
Mm. Good one. Yeah, yeah that one caught me too. It's so provocative. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> it's fun. I yeah, I don't know. It's just one. If you're wishing to die, you're wanting everything to end. You're not wanting gay to play games. Right. Yeah. Joy, pleasure. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> done with all that. Or even, you know, like the track of a bird in the sky. Mm -hmm. I love it. You know, um, very poetic. That's, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's like saying, talking about a, the floor of a lake or mm -hmm. the view from the window. There's The window doesn't have a view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, it's our concept of viewness that we're talking about, but it, oh, a leg doesn't have a floor, you know, necessarily. This, the sky, uh, there's no sky really, it's boundlessness. Mm -hmm. But we put a kind of a lid over it and see it as a sky or something, you know. Anyway, yeah, this I think it's an issue with partially with language too. You mm -hmm. know, how do we talk about this stuff? Yeah, right, right. Trying to, yeah, and language, which is full of nouns and right. It's cool that you wrote them all down because I, I think that is an interesting exercise to do because some of them are really obvious, like form and formlessness. Right. And some of them are about perception. So they, they call back to you, your addition to reality, like just your own systemic, your own machinery. Yeah. So they don't, they're not the same. Like they're not exactly, apparently they're not like one-to-one -one every time and they, and so I'm just, I'm glad you said that, Barbara, because when I was reading, I was more focused on just articulating <laughs> and not understanding. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting, too. A really marvelous perception of color in one blind from birth. Mm -hmm. I've often about that. You know, Helen Keller, I mean, what, mm -hmm. what was sound to her and so forth. So, yeah, this is good stuff. Thank mm -hmm. you. So I'll go on. Yes. Precisely thus, Manjushri does a bodhisattva who realizes ultimate selflessness consider all beings. Manjushri oh. then asked further. Noble sir, if a bodhisattva considers all living beings in such a way, how does he generate the great love toward them? replied. Manjushri, when a bodhisattva considers all living beings in this way, he thinks, just as I have realized the Dharma, so should I teach it to living beings. Thereby, he generates the love that is truly a refuge for all living beings, the love that is peaceful because free of grasping, the love that is not feverish because free of passions, the love that accords with reality because it is equanimous in all three times the love that is without conflict because free of the violence of the passions, the love that is non-dual because it is involved neither with the external nor with the internal, the love that is imperturbable because totally ultimate. There I just time, love that section. Go ahead. Yeah, it's very um, moving, you know. Mm -hmm. Thereby he generates the love that is firm, it's high resolve, unbreakable, like a diamond. The love that is pure, purified in its intrinsic nature. The love that is even, its aspirations being equal. 
the saint's love that has eliminated its enemy, the bodhisattva's love that continuously develops living beings, the tathagata's love that understands reality, the Buddha's love that causes living beings to awaken from their sleep, the love that is spontaneous because it is fully enlightened spontaneously, the love that is enlightenment because it is unity of experience, the love that has no presumption because it has eliminated attachment and aversion, the love that is great compassion because it infuses the Mahayana with radiance, the love that is never exhausted because it acknowledges voidness and selflessness, the love that is giving because it bestows the gift of Dharma free of the tight fist of a bad teacher. The love that is morality because it improves immoral living beings. The love that is tolerance because it protects both self and others. The love that is effort because it takes responsibility for all living beings. The love that is contemplation because it refrains from indulgence and tastes. The love that is wisdom because it causes attainment at the proper time. The love that is liberative technique because it shows the way everywhere. The love that is without formality because it is pure in motivation. The love that is without deviation because it acts from decisive motivation. The love that is high resolve because it is without passions. The love that is without deceit because it is not artificial. The love that is happiness because it introduces living beings to the happiness of the Buddha. Such Manjushri is the great love of a Bodhisattva. What is the great compassion of a Bodhisattva? It is the giving of all accumulated roots of virtue to all living beings. What is the great joy of the Bodhisattva? It is to be joyful and without regret in giving. What is the equanimity of the Bodhisattva? It is what benefits both self and others. To what should one resort when terrified by fear of life? Manjushri, a Bodhisattva who is terrified by fear of life, should resort to the magnanimity, the magnanimity of the Buddha. Where should he who wishes to resort to magnanimity of the Buddha take his stand. He should stand in equanimity toward all living beings. Where should he who wishes to stand in equanimity toward all living beings take his stand? He should live for the liberation of all living beings. What should he who wishes to liberate all living beings do? He should liberate them from their passions. How should he who wishes to eliminate passions apply himself? He should apply himself appropriately. How should he apply himself to apply himself appropriately? <laughs> he should apply himself to productionlessness and to destructionlessness. What is not produced? And what is not destroyed? Evil is not <laughs> and good is not destroyed. What is the root of good and evil? Materiality is the root of good and evil. What is the root of materiality? Desire is the root of materiality. What is the root of desire and attachment? 
Unreal construction is the root of desire. What is the root of unreal construction? The false concept is its root. What is the root of the false concept? Baselessness. What is the root of baselessness? Manjushri, when something is baseless, how can it have any root? Therefore, <laughs> all things stand on the root which is baseless. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Yeah, let's do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Kind of, I was kind of a long section, so does anybody anything to comment about that? Well, I noted the Brahma Viharas. Aha! Uh -huh. Where did you see them? Well, first they were talking all about love, mm -hmm. and then we got to the Manjushri and Vimla Karasati's just uh, dialogue, and they started talking about compassion and joy and uh, equanimity. There we go. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to ask our... Something happened to Joan. I don't know what... Oh, I'm sorry, Joan. Did, did you finish? Uh, that's it. I finished. Oh, okay. All right. You disappeared. So I thought maybe something happened. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, this is so stylized. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, um, I mean, this isn't really a teacher-student kind of dialogue, I don't think. It's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's a performance for, is anybody else in the room with them? Uh, yeah, all those yes. thousands of people. <laughs> thousands of people, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and what did you what did you say was the relationship between these two? Uh, they were both extremely scholarly, right? They were much, very, they were both very much well-informed and great teachers in their own right, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. is the, is the, um, the cohort, if you will, of the Buddha. And Manjushri is the, the Bodhisattva of wisdom. So he's the... Oh. He's he's advocate for the middle way. Yeah, he's the one that cuts through delusion. But I thought of Emila Kirta in last week. He was he sounded like he was talking about the middle way as well. Yeah, but Emila Kirti is talking about the middle way the whole the whole time. Okay, so these two they're not really in dispute. I want, he's not really teaching them anything. They're performing this for all these thousands of people, right? Yeah, it's, it's a discourse. Okay. So they're going back and forth. He's asking a question. But I, it's, um, so yeah, it's like a play and it's performing it for all these people. And, right. and I, I think if there's one that's a little bit more knowledgeable, it would be people like Kirti, who just has been around a lot longer and done a lot more stuff. But still, Manjushri can hold his own as he's yeah. doing, you know, he's not. Yeah. I mean, um, Manjushri is feeding him, feeding him the lines to answer. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think that that's my idea about this, and I'm not sure, but I think that's the way this was written. I mean, it was written this way. I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it really happened this way, but I... <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't know if it's actually an account where they somebody was sitting there writing it all down. This is what happened. 
I think that it was constructed as a teaching. You know, the whole thing is a, is a teaching. And so they do it in, a, in like a play. Imagine seeing this as a play. That's the way I look at it as a play. And we're, we're just reading the lines. Right. I, and then, of course, a god is suddenly appearing and all the magic and stuff wouldn't be... I mean, except people did think that they actually witnessed this stuff, you know? Things like the, the Buddha being able to determine what bag of rice came from what household that, you know, Peg was talking about last week in her Dharma talk. They, these were magical things that, apparent, that people assumed went on or, or, <clears throat> or they just got written down. People were just, it was their perception or something, you know. Um, Charity can probably address that better than I can, but I, my sense of it is, is that there are some things I think that are, are possible for people who meditate. I mean, these guys are meditating all the time. It's not like, you know, they sit from, uh, what is it, 6.30 to 7.30 every day. These guys are sitting around, you know, a lot of them have been ascetics for years and years and sitting around in concentration and meditation a lot. And, and so their consciousness is really expanded. So I, 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 I think that they're capable of a lot of stuff. But I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to say one way that that's true. That's mm -hmm. just something that I think. But I think that some of that, some of this, you know, it could be what this author of this or the translator in this is saying that some of this stuff, you know, the huge numbers and of people and all this stuff that's crazy going on, you know, people being transported from place to place and stuff like that, mm -hmm. that it's, that it's written that way so that the audience who's like us that's reading it or somebody who sees this, um, it invites, uh, it invites people, to, it's expanding to your mind to watch this thing, on, to watch it. So for example, the way that I looked at it when I first looked at this, it's like, we are in, what century is this? This is the 21st century. And yet we watch sci-fi, right? if you want to and um in sci-fi it's talking about how many years in the future and they've got all these different creatures and they've got all these this new technology and a lot of it is it's pure fantasy but it also has come to reality you know so i think that it's a way for our our minds just thinking about it 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 takes us to a place that's greater than the everyday life. And so it's, it's creating the space for the absolute, for the inconceivable. Mm -hmm. Can I add a, a perspective on that too? What? Can I add a perspective about it too? Absolutely. Um, I think it's a great, it's an important question to contextualize this because, you know, Buddhism is not, mostly about magical thinking, right? Like that's not really our jam, but cause Flint, um, not Flint, um, Chet and I, after Peg's transmigration talk, when she was talking about when he had sort of magically identified the ashes of the trees. So we, th we started thinking about it kind of the way you are too, Barbara, which is like, what, I mean, these are skillful teachers and they have audiences. So sometimes I wonder, 
and I think this wouldn't be unreasonable that um, they, in order to get buy-in, just to use a sort of modern parlance, to get buy-in from the audience, they know that a lot of these folks are coming from lineages and histories and like a rich cultural context where they do think that people do miracles and there are, you know, and whether that's a miracle of consciousness or whether it's just a, 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 myth, a myth that people need to live, it's like these guys are skillful in wanting to get people to um, pay attention. And so to, if they just, if they need to just do the magic trick to, to like get their attention, it seems like they would. And I don't think that that's like unethical. It's more like skillful means. How do we, how do we show them what we're talking about? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, if they need to, in order to believe something or to like, in order to get them past the hump of like, okay, we need, this guy is like the Buddha was clearly a, a powerful sort of, um, a photographer, you know? So in order to get them to um, uh, internalize and start to metabolize his teachings, it feels like they were using some, like you might refer to it as trickery and, and, and you could look at it cynically, like, oh, they were manipulative. But I, but I also think that they were just trying to get people to take it seriously and they, they were willing to meet them where they were in order to get them to focus and pay attention. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, definitely a possibility, I suppose. But, you know, it's striking, too, that in this period of time, you have the birth of Buddhism as we know it, or start to know it. Mm -hmm. And there is Christianity and the, the, mm -hmm. the accounts of Jesus performing miracles. And so, I mean, it's just in the same way with Islam. You know, it, it is something, I guess, with, within the wisdom traditions. Mm -hmm. It's not just Buddhism that does this. Absolutely not. It must be you know, um, things that aren't really verifiable, <laughs> even right. at the time. I mean, did they label the ashes or, you know, what? Right. I immediately went to the rational thing, you know. Right, but, but that's okay to do. Uh, the point, I guess, or maybe it never happened and it just got added in later or whoever wrote it down was simply mistaken or something or or not really did experience this is right my suggestion is some expanded consciousness exactly. that defies laws of gravity and <laughs> stuff you know? well so, and you, you know like you can have it when a teaching really drops in you you can experience that feeling of satiation so it's like the loaves and the fishes it's not necessarily that jesus actually created hundreds and thousands of extra fish, but the teaching may have felt, made people feel satiated. And that in a, in a way is an expansion of food. Do you know what I mean? You know, you're seen as metaphorical or an analogy or something for something that happened or yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're all possible. Oh, and Unless also in, in Catholicism, the whole thing of what's it called trans, where the bread and the Trans wine are actually the body. I'm sorry. Antiation of the of of the of the of uh, the wine and the bread. Uh -huh. Yeah, of being the body, actually being the body. And so, right. I mean, for people who aren't into that, it's like what? <laughs> you know, I mean, really. So, Trouty, can you shed any light on on this question as far as uh, the time period and the culture 
um, how well, do they look at it as far as reality or, or something that was just a tool or? Well, I, I like the discussion. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I agree. Yes. Um, I, I like to, to hear how it can be perceived. And I think, uh, Laurie, you talked last time about um, sort of having the feeling of being elevated or taken out of uh, your everyday drudgery. Mm -hmm. And I think Mahayana is extremely uh, well um, equipped with um, having a feeling of being just like in the outer space even. And I, I realized it fully some time ago when Kim brought to one of the depth in cra uh, practice classes a recording of the Lotus Sutra. And we, we listened to it for about 45 minutes and I thought, oh, that's what it is. I mean, it was extremely transformative. And if, if we read only portions, I mean, it is all right to, to look at the portions, but we don't have the same experience as if somebody is really performing, like, uh, you know, like a play. Yeah, like Laurie said, like, like a play or uh, an exchange, but it is a performance. And it's kind of it hypnotic, has... a hypnotic um, yeah. music. And, yeah, but it's transformative as well. Yeah, because it's an experience. Yeah. It is an experience, exactly. And if we read it only, then um, yes, yeah. we are highly enriched and uh, we can talk about it. And I think that is important too. But uh, what you just said, Kim, yeah, that's, that's really, I do not know, that's not the right word. Uh, that's the aim. There's 10,000 people here, mm -hmm. right? right? In that small yeah. room, in that small yeah. house. And they brought in seats because there were no seats. It was empty. Only his, Abimalakirti's bed was there, right? They brought in huge thrones. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but you know, for me, what's important, it, all the history and all of what happened and how they presented it is important. But what's really important to me is what this tells or how this opens up uh, that what you were saying, Trouty, about how it, how when you listen to it, it transformed you. So we have this whole paragraph on what he says about love. And so for me, it, the history and how it was presented is important, but what it is saying to me here and now is more important <laughs> and so this this whole thing and, and he starts down here at the bottom of page seven talking about his his, his he has been well i'm just going to say it in my own words he has been given a gift and he and so he is giving his gift to 
to uh, Manjusri and the world. I mean, that's for me, that's the whole meaning of this is, is, is what it says to me and how it opens me up and how it changes me moment to moment. And it's sort of what you said, Trouty, about how you felt when you heard it. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think, I think that, you know, talking about how it was presented and who was there and how many thousands of people and knowing the history of it is really important. But I think what it really says to us today in, in where we're living right here and now, to me, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of the idea of this whole thing. Is how, how can we apply what's said in this thing here and now for the situations that we're experiencing at this moment? What can we I mean, just here? right here it says, the love that is effort because it takes responsibility for all living beings. Well, if there was ever a time right now that we need to think about everything we do is taking responsibility for all living beings, I mean, this text really speaks to what is happening in our lives right now. And that's what's important to me about it. I, th- I think it's important to realize that what's happening in our lives right now is not believable. We're I mean, talking about magic. Yeah. If, yeah. if we, you know, five years ago, we had told each other about what was going to happen and these little guys who are going to devastate the earth and, you know, all the people and, and this crazy man and all this stuff, that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So we need a lot of wise words, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, should I get my assistant now, Lori? Yeah, let me just, I wanted to include something right off of what okay. um, um, Judy was saying, that there was something that, that came to mind when I was reading this section about um, about love and the Bodhisattva. It was like page fifty. That is, well, fifty-seven, around there. And so, um, what is this? Oh, when he's talking about the love and so forth. It was saying that Vimalakirti says the Bodhisattva love is not merely commiseration, but a spontaneous overflow of his great joy and relief in realizing the radiant, radiant nature of reality. And then he goes on. Um, he's empty himself, and he's utterly sensitive to the oppressive gravity of the living being feeling of others. And his love is an outpouring of his awareness of their true nature, which I just thought that was so beautiful. Mm. Um, and so it reminded me of an incident that occurred recently, well, not so recently, but in, an, in a retreat where somebody, there was a, a person working with Flint, and they were saying they were, well, uh, were having a very difficult time, very, having a serious problem, and, and so she was wanting something from other people but she wasn't stating it. So she was getting really frustrated because she wasn't receiving something from other people. And so um, finally she came, when talking to Flint, she finally came out with it. I want, I want for people to see, see me um, 
see my Buddha nature, see me as I really am. And so uh, it was so interesting because somebody popped out with the response of, well, then look at me that way. Mm. If you look at me that way, you'll draw, uh, you know, I will return that to you. It was so interesting. Mm. It's that same sort of thing that I think he's talking about, that kind of love, mm. you project it onto other people and it naturally brings it, brings it back, mm. but it brings it out so that people have that sense. So I thought that was a real important Thing to, to have witnessed and then I think it kind of relates to this the love and compassion discussed in the mm -hmm. event so okay so yeah bring her in Nancy are you ready uh yes okay he'll be right back we have to wait for him because he's he's waiting for Kim yeah we have to wait for Kim okay but you're wanting me to say thereupon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're the narrator. We yeah, we need to we need to wait for him though. Right. But, but yeah, you can say that. Okay. I just want on. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, hear. Okay, now talk. See if I can hear. Thereupon, a oh, certain crap. goddess. You didn't hear. Did you hear that? Hey, can you Hello. hear Kim? Can you hear? Hello, hello. 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 Kim, hear us. Okay. Got it? Yeah. Right. Okay. Thereupon, a certain goddess who lived in that house, having heard the teaching of the Dharma of the great heroic Bodhisattvas, and being delighted, pleased, and overjoyed, manifested herself in a material body and showered the great spiritual heroes, the bodhisattvas, and the great disciples with heavenly flowers. When the flowers fell on the bodies of the bodhisattvas, okay, they hope. fell. Hold there. Now? Now. on it or something. Uh, okay. <laughs> the goddess in a material body. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to leave them on my floor. On the bodies of the bodhisattvas. Many art piece, interpretive art right there. But when they fell on the bodies of the great disciples, they stuck to them and did not fall. The great disciples <laughs> shook the flowers and even tried to use their magical powers, but still the flowers would not shake off. Then the goddess said to the venerable Sariputra, Reverend Sariputra, why do you shake these flowers? Sariputra said, replied, Sariputra! Is that me? Yes, that's you. Oh, goddess, these flowers are not proper for re religious 
persons. And so we are trying to shake them off. It got us sad. <laughs> Do not say that. Reverend Sariputra, why these flowers are proper indeed? Why such flowers have neither constructual thought nor discrimination? But the elder Sariputra has both constructual thought and discrimination. Reverend Sariputra, impropriety for one who has renounced the word for the display. Discipline of the rightly taught Dharma consists of constructual thought and discrimination, yet the elders are full of such thoughts. One who is without such thoughts is always proper. Reverend Sariputra, see how these flowers do not stick to the bodies of these great spiritual heroes, the Bodhisattvas. This is because they have eliminated constructual thoughts and discriminations. For example, evil spirits have power over fearful men but cannot disturb the fearless. Likewise, those intimate, intimidated by fear of the world are in the power of forms, sounds, smells, tastes, and textures which do not disturb those who are free from fear of the passions inherent in the construct constructive food. Thus, these flowers stick to the bodies of those who have not eliminated their instincts for the passions and do not stick to the bodies of those who have eliminated their instincts. Therefore, the flowers do not stick to the bodies of these bodhisattvas who have abandoned on instinct. Then mm -hmm. the venerable Sariputra said to the goddess, Goddess, how long have you been in this house? The goddess. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know, no, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I have been here as long as the elder has been in liberation. Putra said. Then, have you been in this house for quite some time? The goddess said. Has the elder been in liberation for quite some time? <laughs> <laughs> At that, the elder Sariputra fell silent. The goddess continued. Elder, you are foremost of the wise. Why do you not speak? Now, when it is your turn, you do not answer the question. Since liberation is inexpressible, goddess, I do not know what to say. Oops, sorry, my patient. On the, on the syllables pronounced by the elder have the nature of liberation. Why? Liberation is neither internal nor external nor can it be apprehended apart from them. Likewise, syllables are neither internal nor external, nor can they be appreciated anywhere else. Therefore, reverence Sariputra do not point to liberation by abandoning speech. Why? The holy liberation is the equality of all things. 
Goddess, is not liberation the freedom from desire, hatred, and folly? Liberation is freedom from desire, hatred, and folly. That is the teaching of the extensively proud. But those free of pride are taught that the very nature of desire, hatred, and folly is itself liberation. Excellent, excellent, Goddess. Pray, what have you attained? What have you realized? that you have such eloquence. I have attained nothing, reverence of Rebucha. I have no realization. Therefore, I have such eloquence. Whoever thinks I have attained, I have realized is overly proud in the discipline of the well-taught Dharma. Goddess, do you belong to the disciplined vehicle, to the solitary vehicle? or to the great vehicle? <laughs> I belong to the disciple vehicle when I, teach it to, when I teach it to those who need it. I belong to the solitary vehicle when I teach the 12 links of dependent origination mm -hmm. to those who need them. And since I never abandoned the great compassion, I belong to the great vehicle as on me that teaching to attend ultimate liberation. Nevertheless, Reverend Sariputra, just as one cannot smell the castor plant in a magnolia wood, but only the magnolia flowers, so Reverend Sariputra, living in this house, which is redolent to the perfume of the virtues of the Buddha qualities, one does not smell the perfume of the disciples and the solitary sages. Reverend Saributra, the Sakras, the Brahmas, the Loka Palas, the Divas Nagas, Yasas, Ganhavas, Asugras, Garudas, Kimnaras, and Mahogragas, who live in this house, hear the Dharma from the mouth of this holy man and entice by the perfume of the virtues of the Buddha qualities, proceed to, per, to conceive the spiritual of enlightenment. Reverend Saributra, I have been in this house for 12 years and I have heard no discourses concerning the disciples and solitary sages, but have heard only those concerning the great love the great compassion and the inconceivable qualities of the Buddha. Reverend Sariputra, eight strange and wonderful things manifest themselves constantly in this house. What are these eight? A light of golden pearl shines here constantly, so bright that it is hard to distinguish day and night. And neither the moon nor the sun shines here distinctly. That is the first wonder of this house. Se furthermore, several Staributra, whoever enters this house is no longer troubled by his passions from the moment he is within. That is the second strange and wonderful thing. Furthermore, Reverend Staributra, this house is never forsaken by Sakra, Brahma, the Loka, Palas, and the Bodhisattvas from all the other Buddha fields. That is the first strange and wonderful thing. 
Furthermore, Reverend Sariputra, this house is never empty of the sounds of Dharma. The discourse on the six transcendences and the discourses of the irreversible will of the Dharma, that is the fourth change and wonderful thing. Furthermore, Reverend Sariputra, in this house, one always hears the rhythms, songs, and sun, and music of God and men. And from this music, constantly resounds the sound of the infinite Dharma of the Buddha. That is the fifth strange and wonderful thing. Furthermore, Reverend Sariputra, in this house, there are always four inexhaustible uh, treasures replete from uh, with all kinds of jewels which never decrease although on the poor and wretched can partake to their satisfaction that is the sixth strange and wonderful thing furthermore reverend saributra at the wish of this good man in this house come the innumerable tathagatas of the ten directions such as the Tathagatas, Saki and Muni, Amitabha, Asubia, Ratnasri, Ratnasis, Ratnakantra, Ratnavyuha, Dusprasaha, Savatasida, Ratnabahula, Simha, Kita Simha Simha Kiti Sim Simhavana Simhavara and so forth. And when they come they teach the door of Dharma called the secrets of Tathagatas and then depart. That is the seventh strength and wonderful thing. Furthermore, Reverend Sariputra on the splendors of Abodis of the gods and on the splendors of the fields of the Buddhas shine forth in this house. That is the eighth change and wonderful thing. Reverend Sariputra, these eight change and wonderful things are seen in this house. Who then, seeing such inconceivable things, could believe the teaching of disciple of the disciples? Goddess, what prevents you from transforming yourself out of your female state? <laughs> Although I have sought my female state for these 12 years, I have not yet found it. Reverend Saributra, if a magician were to incarnate a woman by magic, would you ask her, what prevents you from transforming yourself out of your female state? No. Such a woman would not really exist. So what would there be to transform? Just so, Reverend Saributra, all things do not really exist. Now, could you think, what prevents one whose nature is that of a magical incarnation from transforming herself out of her female state? There, you hear me go ahead? Mm -hmm. Thereupon, the goddess employed her magical power to cause the elder Sariputra to appear in her form and to cause herself to appear in his form. Then the goddess transformed into Sariputra 
Thetisariputra transformed into a goddess. Reverend Sariputra, what prevents you from transforming yourself out of your female state? Sariputra, transformed into the gar goddess, replied. Sariputra. Sariputra. I neither made it, nor did I change it. Uh, uh, I no longer appear. I no longer appear in the form of a male. I'm sorry, I was trying to fix my sound. Um, <laughs> oh, here, okay. I no longer appear in the form of a male. My body is changed into the body of a woman. I do not know what to transform. Goddess <laughs> If the elder could again change out of the female state, then all women could also change out of their female states. All women appear in the form of woman in just the same way as the elder appears in the form of a woman. While they are not women, in reality, they appear in the form of woman. With this in mind, the Buddha said, in all things, there is neither male or female. Then the goddess released her magical power and each returned to his ordinary form. She then said to him, Reverend Sariputra, what have you done with your female form? I neither made it nor did I change it. Just so, all things are neither made nor changed, and that they are not made and not changed. That is the teaching of the Buddha. Goddess, where will you be born when you transmigrate after death? I will be born where all the magical incarnations of the Tathagata are born. But the emanated incarnations of the Tathagata do not transmigrate, nor are they born. All things and living beings are just the same. They do not transmigrate, nor are they born. Goddess, how soon will you obtain the perfect enlightenment of Buddhahood? At such time as you, elder, become endowed once more with the qualities of an ordinary individual, then will I attend the perfect enlightenment of Buddhahood. Goddess, it is impossible that I should become endowed once more with the qualities of an ordinary individual. Just so, Reverend Sariputra, it is impossible that I should attend the perfect enlightenment of Buddhahood. Why? Because if perfect enlightenment stands upon the impossible, because it is impossible, no one attains the perfect enlightenment of Buddhahood. But the Tathagata has declared the Tathagatas, who are as numerous as the sands of the Ganges, have <coughs> attained perfect Buddhahood, are attaining perfect Buddhahood, and will go on attaining perfect Buddhahood. Reverend Sariputra, the expression, the Buddhas of the past, present, and future is a conventional expression made up of a certain number of syllables. 
The Buddha are neither past, nor present, nor future. Their enlightenment transcends the three times. But tell me, Elder, have you attained Sadhguru? It is attained because there is no attainment. <laughs> Just so. <laughs> it's perfect enlightenment because there is no attainment of perfect enlightenment. Nice. Nice. Then Kerti said to the venerable elder Shariputra, Nancy. Oh, oh, is it me? Yeah. No, I think it's not. Uh, somebody else. It's not the. Uh, it's Vina Lucky. Oh, right, right. It's Cloudy. Cloudy Vimakut. No. No, it was Manjushi. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh my God. But so she already read that part. Then the Vimalakirti said, okay. So sorry, y'all. Reverend Shariputra, this goddess has already served 92 million billion Buddhas. She plays with the super knowledges. She has truly succeeded in all of her vows. She has gained the tolerance of the worthlessness of things. She has actually attained irreversibility. She can live wherever she wishes on the strength of her vow to develop living beings. Whoa. I need to tell Linda that. <laughs> That's a lot of Buddhas. Yeah. So, um, I want to, I, I have this book. It's, it's a, a commentary. It's actually, I guess, but we used it and I want to um, read what she has to say about, you know, he was talking about, she was talking, the goddess was talking about the eight strange things. Yes. Uh -huh. And so Sutherland was saying that the eight, the eight strange things that happen in Vilma Kirti's room means the room we enter when we've begun to give birth to ourselves as a bodhisattva. So she goes on uh, to say that the goddess is pointing to, for example, Describing eight strange things. Um, it's, it's, it's 61 in the book, and it's probably a couple of pages. You are cutting out. You are be, cutting out. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, your microphone only works when you are talking directly to it. So sorry. It, it doesn't work. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so what I was saying is that. Um, Oh, that Sutherland is talking about uh, what the goddess was saying about the eight strange things, that what mm -hmm. that is actually is the room we enter when we've begun to give birth to ourselves as bodhisattvas. Mm -hmm. so, so if you look at each one of them, I'm moving again. Uh, the first one is a golden hue shines here constantly. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the first wonder of the house. So that's the first thing. There's a gold hue. The second is um, whoever enters this house is no longer troubled by his passions. So that's the other second quality of when we enter in as bodhisattvas. That's kind of the point is to, to um, cease the passions, right? Mm -hmm. um, from the moment he is within. 
then she goes on and talks about uh, it's that um, when you enter the, the house, the house is never forsaken by the chakra, the Brahma. And these, these characters are all, well, they have different roles, but a lot of them are like guardians and so forth of the, of the Dharma. And also, um, you are not forsaken from the Bodhisattvas from all other Buddha fields. So, to me, is that you're you're not alone. You have all these other other uh, Bodhisattvas that that are there with you to protect you. And then the next one, um, number four. This house is never empty of the sounds of the Dharma. The sounds of the Dharma. Um, on the one hand, she talks about various things, but one of the sounds of the Dharma is like um, not just the music, which she mentions later, but it's uh, the sounds of the earth, actually. So like the sound of the wind um, blowing the trees or the sound of the river. So it's the sounds of the earth. That's part of the sounds of the Dharma. And also the sounds of the Dharma is the discourse of the six. It says transcendencies, but that's the six paramitas. So all these teachings are contained in here. Um, and the discourses of the irreversible wheel of the Dharma. Then the fifth one, oh, this is the rhythms and songs and music of God's men and the sound of the infinite Dharma of the Buddha. And then the sixth one, oh, the discussion of four inexhaustible treasures replete with all kinds of jewels which never decrease um, although the poor and wretched may partake to their satisfaction. So that's a reference to um, that we have access to treasures that never run out. Of course, we're not talking about pearls. We're talking about the treasures of the Dharma. Mm. Um, what are the four treasures? The four treasures specifically? She doesn't mention those. If it was three, I could tell you. Um, so I don't know specifically, unless it's the four measurables. That could be it. So that would be what um, Joan mentioned, the Brahma Viharas. So it's love, compassion, sympathetic joy, and um, equanimity. Um, and they, it, those, those are treasures for us to make use of. We can radiate these things, and, and there's no end to it. Um, so, and then... Uh, Okay, so the seven things, uh, da, 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 da. the wish of this goodness, this house come, but, oh, so the, the, the innumerable Tathagatas come to the house, the Tathagatas are the 10 directions, and they mention all the ones. Um, and they come teach the door of the Dharma called the secrets of the Tathagata, and then depart. I don't know what the reference is specifically to that. But one thing is uh, sure, Oh, and then the last thing is the splendors of the abodes of the gods and all the splendors of the fields of the Buddhas shine forth on this house. Um, the, what she says about this is this is that we can make our life at the intersection of bodhicitta and those treasures. So bodhicitta being our, that, that love, loving presence. As we come to terms with, so this is what's really cool about this. Is, um, as, we, as we deal with life, 
and the suffering and the pain and the unfairness and the difficulty, all those things that we deal with. It's also true that there's the great, uh, the other side, which is the great tenderness, courage, kindness, and generosity in the world. And awakening is available anywhere and is timeless, timeless as in present, past, and future. I mean, it's just, it's available anywhere. And so when you wake up, uh, you wake up, your, yeah, your present, past, and future wake up as well. Mm-hmm. Of that. I thought it was really lovely. Mm-hmm. So, and an example of, of one of these things, how are we doing? Oh, we got one minute. Okay, so quick. Um, so I'll give an example, and maybe you guys can make some for next time, but um, examples of, of this situation, we can think of a million of them, I think, probably, of the treasures that we have or the way that we can look at the COVID, for example, and say, this is, a, on the one hand, this is a god-awful disease, lots of people are dying, it's causing people to be in great isolation, which is very difficult. Um, people are strapped and and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of pain and suffering right now but on the other hand there's a lot of kindness and we see it right we see it all over the place and i to me that's that's what all this is about that we can there is a lot of bad stuff but then there's this other side and we can feed that you know we can be part of that by doing kind things so people make masks and they give them away. The, the people were putting the bears in the windows for children mm-hmm. so they could count them in, in lieu of Easter eggs and, and just see them. It made them happy, right? And people were put, being really creative about putting things in their yards to entertain other people. <laughs> just silly sort of things like that that really have an impact. Um, and so all these sorts of things. And there's a, oh, and another thing I thought of today was you know, people that you know that um, have small businesses, you can ask them, well, can, why don't you I'll buy vouchers from you in lieu of having a, a particular job done in my house? You can do it in the future, but I'll give you the money now so that maybe you can make it for another month. Those kinds of things. It's just being present to what's going on and then acting from that heart, right? So... And another example of that, too, was uh, when we, there's three of us that went down to the border to observe the the immigration, what was going on on the border, and watch how our government was treating immigrants so horribly and inhumanely by separating children from their parents and putting all these uh, specific policies that were really difficult to for, for, for people, very difficult, just really difficult for a lot of people's lives and probably created trauma that will last for lifetimes. But at any rate, that at the same time, the people living in those communities along the border in the United States and Matamoros and Brownsville, the communities themselves were saying, this is my town and this stuff is going on in my town at the border and I'm gonna do something else. I'm going to show these people kindness. I can, I can give food. I can give them shelter. I can do 10 millions of things, give clothing. So I think that's, that to me is this whole message of, of um, the things that are available to us, all the treasures that are actually are available to us, no matter what's going on. And it's important to hold that close, particularly these days, because it's 
difficult, really difficult for so many people in many different ways. Mm -hmm. So I'll get off my soapbox. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Well, I think it's a nice loop back to what Judy was refocusing us on, which was the piece around what love, what that kind of sort of unconditional, dispassionate, um, unclinging love can be like, and the, the place from which you take action, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I guess we're done. It's over time. And so, unless there's any other questions or comments, um, feel free to bring questions next time if there's any. Oh, there over. We'll be going to chapter eight next time. Cool. Uh, oh, and let's, uh, what I thought we would try to do, just as a heads up, um, I really love this chapter. It's called The Family of the Tathagatas. And uh, what I thought maybe we could do next time is something a little bit different, uh, depending on how many people, how many people do we have today? One, two, oh, it's coming. One, two, three, four, five, six, Eight. Okay, that's probably including me. That's okay. So we'll divide up into pairs and then we'll have, I hope to have, um, figure out how to have breakout rooms. I can and do we it. Can, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we'll separate into pairs and then we'll, we can do the reading together and then hopefully have a little bit of time maybe to write mm -hmm. and then uh, come back together. So, and then talk about what we wrote or what we might have gotten out of that chapter. Sound okay? Should we read ahead or wait till we get together? I would say read ahead because it's, um, oh. this stuff is really dense. Yeah, okay. So, um, I mean, do, do what you have time for, mm -hmm. what you want to do. But I, I think it works. You have more time to think about it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for this class, Lori. Oh, you're welcome. Really what awesome. Pleasure. Yeah. Okay, well, good night all. See you next good week. Night. Good night. Good night. Bye. 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 Oh, oh.